It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. Uh, and joining me is I have uh, two wonderful guests, as uh, we usually try to do here. Uh, and I'm actually in the studio today, which is nice. I'm not out on the road or working from the virtual office, but in the studio. So it worked out well today, so we should have a, a good time today. Uh, in case this is the first time you happen to be uh, popping into the show, thank you for, for joining us. And maybe it's been a while since you've heard a show. So just a little reminder of kind of how the show works. Um, you know, I've been able to meet some of these really cool people or find them on LinkedIn or yeah, maybe someone made a suggestion for them to be on the show. And we look for these uh, people that are out there um, that are uniquely talented and driving their organizations with talent or maybe have something really cool or special to share with us that we might be able to use or think about um, in our in our businesses, and our lives. And so um, really just enjoy having that conversation and bringing it uh, here live uh, to the show and also then throwing out to the podcast. Um, so we are live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And But most of you actually come in and get us through the podcast. So after we've gotten rid of all the ums and the bums and the, the, the mess-ups, um, we edit all that good stuff out and get sewn up on iTunes and iHeartRadio. And uh, we're averaging over 10,000 of you a day that are listening to one or more shows. So we really appreciate the great uh, enthusiasm and all the interaction. And we are always uh, looking for people to give us uh, their suggestions, their feedback, uh, interactions, whatever it may be. And we do that on Twitter. Um, if it's good enough for the president, I guess it should be good enough for us. Uh, no no politics here. But anyways, um, our, our commentary is a little bit, little bit cleaner, I think. But... So if you want to come on Twitter, you can uh, go ahead and use at PeopleG2, use the hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed it in, uh, any of the best questions right now, or if anything else pops in, we'd love to interact. I'm sure our guests will interact with you as well, uh, post-show as well. So uh, speaking of my guests, uh, my first guest will be uh, uh, Kara Stiletto, and the President and Chief Retention Officer for Crescendo Strategies. And my second guest will be James Hamilton. Um, the VP of Inspired Performance of the Vincent Group. So um, let's bring in uh, Kara uh, Saletto right now. Kara, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. Looks like I may have messed up your name the first time through, which is about a normal thing for me. So we have a jar here with a nickel in it, and I just fill it up so many times. I think the producer is going to be a millionaire. But uh, anyway, so Kara, <laughs> tell, tell everyone about yourself. Uh, we'll forget that I said your name wrong the first time, but tell everyone how to say your name correctly and, of course, what you're doing and what your, what your company's all about. Sure, thanks. So my name is Kara Saletto, and our company, Crescendo Strategies, 
We started by focusing on the millennial generation and helping bridge the generational gaps, but actually since our last show together in 2015, we have expanded our focus area, and now we really work with companies across the country and in all different industries on how to reduce unnecessary employee turnover. So, of course, the millennial message is still the number one requested topic that we have, as I am one of the oldest millennials, and I have some unique stories to share and a unique perspective on how to bridge the gap, but... We've really expanded into a broader HR arena of what parts of your business uh, need to change and adapt in order to be successful moving forward with attracting and retaining today's new workforce of all ages, but, but a workforce that certainly has a different expectation and different perspective than previous years. Well, it's always great to have someone back on the show, so welcome back. And um, maybe you can settle an argument. I was having, uh, while we were waiting for the eclipse to happen this weekend, I was up in Oregon and watching that, um, we were arguing about what the actual cutoff was for a millennial. So do, do, is there a definitive number there of where that cutoff is? There's not, Chris. Unfortunately, people think that there is some governing body or agency that says these are the generations and what they shall be named, and that's just not the case. It's always been based on research, and the researchers that bubble to the top uh, typically win the game, and that's why you may also hear millennials referred to as Gen Y. It's the same exact group, according to most researchers, uh, some groups groups throw in Gen Y and Gen Z. They split the millennial group. Others say that Gen Z is next in line. Uh, We tend to do most of our research and, and our programs around the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, which says that millennials were born between 80 and 2000. So we are anywhere from 16 to 36 at this point. Okay, so 36 is significantly older than I was betting on. I was saying if they were 27 that that might be pushing it. But you have, you're you sort of looking at as late as even into 36 being a millennial. Is that right? Absolutely. And I am 36. I'm one of the oldest of the millennials. And I can absolutely tell you that there are major differences between me and even my Gen X sister, who is six years older than me, because so much changed in our society in the 1980s that really shaped this new millennial mindset. We were the group that grew up during the technology boom, where I switched from cassettes to CDs, to digital streaming, and I got my first iPod all before age 21. So that was a major uh, formative time in my life where I was learning out with the old, in with the new, change, 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 where every previous generation had a much slower technological boom, um, and that's why you often get the battle, the frustration between one generation and the next, where the millennials say, well, there's an app for that now, and we need to update and upgrade, and this system's too slow, versus previous generations who often say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It works just fine. Just be patient and wait for it. <laughs> right. Because we grew up in such a different time. So that and another big one that separates us that really does, I, I believe, make the case for those all the way up to that kind of 35, 36 mark is personal credit cards became mainstream in the 1980s, which is when our society shifted from a save-up model that you have to save up for something before you earn it, when now it's 
flipped on its back and now anytime we want something we buy it now and we pay it off later and so that very much influenced the millennials mindset as they grew up as the first children we grew up as the first children whose parents had credit cards and we pretty much got almost everything we ever asked for because the holidays exploded in the 80s and 90s thanks to those credit cards right and then, you know, so certainly we, we can use a fixed number, and I'm sure there's some subjective uh, things there, whether maybe people older than 36 that still do kind of fit into that model. I mean, a lot of what you were saying, I sort of felt like I was hearing some of my own experiences, even though I'm outside of that realm. Um, and then there's certainly people that you meet that, you know, because of how they were raised, where they were raised, um, maybe they didn't have those same experiences, and so they may fit into that age category, be a quote-unquote millennial, but certainly they're the reactions and their and how you might interact with them would certainly be different. And we, we see that in hiring, that not everyone fits that mold. So do you have any ideas or is there a percentage? I mean, is it maybe half of the people kind of fit that, that categorization, 60%, and that's enough to kind of make that, that generalization about them? Or, or, or is it different than that? Yeah, unfortunately, I don't know the numbers behind that, but we do preach the fact that it is not about your birth year. It's about your mindset. And the reason we do the generational research the way we do with those cutoff years is Morris Massey, who was one of the first big generational researchers, he called it that concept of where were you when? That if you grew up in the same area at the same time with other people in that uh, society, then you're very likely to have similar foundational perspectives about things, you know, the priorities in life uh, and things that matter and don't matter. And so what I find is that the millennials who grew up in a completely different society than I grew up, so I grew up in suburbia, you know, out just outside of a metro area, a lot of diversity. Um, I had parents that, you know, had credit cards and were uh, pretty progressive in their technology and things like that. I had a very different experience than a millennial who grew up on a farm in a rural area um, in a very conservative town. So we actually identify some millennials as what we call old soul millennials, which is going to be more of a, a baby boomer or traditional mindset trapped in a millennial body because <laughs> maybe they were raised by military parents or older parents or even grandparents who raised them. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were raised in a very conservative town uh, in rural America, and so they are completely different in their priorities and perspective, even their definitions of work ethic and professionalism. They were probably taught differently than I was. I was not told, sit up straight, finish your plate, respect your elders. I didn't learn those traditional mantras because my family said, challenge authority. And if you see something, you say something. You speak up if you think somebody's doing something wrong, even if they're above you and, and higher on, on the hierarchy than you are. Mm -hmm. You speak up, and you should have a voice and a say. And so that's why, in my mind, the generational research is going to get tougher and tougher as we move forward because there's more diversity in the millennial generation than we've ever had before. Uh, if you think about baby boomers grew up with, for the most part, three TV channels. 
So they had the same type of experience and exposure to pop culture and to other uh, perspectives and things because they had those three channels to choose from, where today and for the last several years and even a couple decades, we've had cable, we have all these options and different exposure so three kids on my street are three different religions they go to three different schools they have three different types of parenting style which means it's going to get harder and harder to define people by that generational group in the birth years because they're growing up in completely different worlds right absolutely and and i love kind of how you broke that down with you know one generation having three TV stations, and then, you know, sort of now it's almost like completely exploded to the point of being just uh, giant, uh, maybe little tiny bubbles inside of a big bubble of, of little niches, right, where everyone's sort of having a small group experiences instead of this one mass, you know, experience where we might all identify through, you know, a couple different shows or a couple different radio stations or whatever it may be, and that really has changed. Um, so I guess it makes it makes perfect sense that work, uh, Workforce Magazine would have named you a game changer for your innovative solutions for creating a, that really a bridging for the generational gaps in the workplace. So now that we kind of understand that you have this incredible gra- ga- not gasp, but grasp on everything that's going on with the different generations, maybe you could talk to a little bit about what are some of the solutions that you've started to develop and put into place that you know companies may want to think about. Sure. So our focus is really on changing or shifting the mindset of today's leaders because we find all too often that the managers and leaders today are still managing the way they did in the 90s. And they still believe that the hierarchy matters and um, seniority matters and that people should stick around because they should be loyal and, uh, you know, have that traditional deep-rooted sense of loyalty. I made a commitment. I need to stick it out and stay with this company. When in reality, uh, the generation of younger workers was raised differently with different priorities and a different outlook. And also, they... We are in an employee's market today. So just like the real estate market goes back and forth, it's a buyer's market, it's a seller's market, depending on economic factors, the same idea is true in the employment market, and sometimes it's an employer's market. We had that during the recession Mm -hmm. when it was easy to get and keep people, and today we're in an employee's market where they have more options because everybody's hiring. So we try to focus on just shifting the mindset of the managers instead of having that hierarchical mindset and the because I said so type of approach with their staff to instead start building genuine relationships with their staff um, and being much more authentic and transparent with them in order to build trust and to earn their loyalty in the organization. Um, For example, we used to have pensions a long time ago, and that's why the older generation stayed at a company for so long. Many of them were promised, uh, you know, that's not the only reason, but a lot of folks were promised some kind of pension or retirement benefits, some kind of long-term gain if they stayed at a company for a long time. And today, A, most companies have cut pensions. B, if you still have a pension, no one under 35 believes that they will ever see that promise or guarantee. 
um, and C, they we really don't have even the short-term gains of staying at an organization because companies used to give 5 and 10% raises every year where people could get ahead. If they stayed in that company, they were well taken care of, and they would advance their career in that organization. Unfortunately, today, most companies are budgeting 2 3 maybe 4% increases for their staff, which means they can buy the exact same bread, egg, and milk, you know, this year that they did last year. And nothing more because all they're doing is keeping up with that cost of inflation and the cost of living adjustment. It's not really a raise. It's just a cost of living adjustment for those folks. And the staff has figured that out. They realize that they have no staying power. They don't win if they stay. In fact, they are better off job hopping every two years because in 10 years or 15 years, they will be much better financially if they do look for new opportunities outside of that organization. So we just focus on really shifting the mindset of the managers to get to know their staff and to be better leaders and managers who people want to work for. Right. And are there are some shifts starting to happen then, not maybe with the millennials, maybe with the managers, but are there shifts that you're starting to see as it relates to that generation, you know, in the workplace that maybe is a bit different than um, what you would have expected or maybe what other generations are doing? Yeah, absolutely. So the companies that are very successful today at attracting and retaining younger workers, it is not about ping pong tables. Right. <laughs> it's not about, um, you know, the facade of a cool culture. What's really attracting and retaining people is great management and great managers who know their people, who care about their people, who understand that today's world is 24-7 work-life integration. It's not a flip-of-the-switch balance like I go to work and I work, and then I leave and I do other things. Now we have this 24-7 integration. So that's the shift that I'm seeing is a lot of managers are are keeping up with the times and saying, okay, I get it. So now that my staff has smartphones, they're reading reports from bed when their alarm goes off. They are emailing clients back at 9 p.m. So what do I care if they're checking Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever at 10 a.m. and doing some other things? Because as long as we are focused on our results, that's that's the winning combination of communicating your expectations to your team and setting the proper uh, metrics and goals and making sure that that's communicated very clearly and then stepping back to let them do it in the way and place that they want to do it. It's not about just being at the office. Um, It used to be that visibility equaled productivity because you had to be at work. So it's no wonder that some of the previous generations said things like, the first one in and the last one to leave, that's my hardest worker. (laughs) Because productivity was at the office. But as you know, you're on the road all the time. You work from airports and airplanes and taxis and, (laughs) you know, wherever you have to work from today. And so visibility doesn't always equal productivity. And that's a big shift that I've seen with a lot of organizations, a lot of leaders, uh, and those who 
don't embrace that as much are really struggling because their staff comes in 10 minutes late with a latte in their hand from their favorite coffee shop and then they get reprimanded because they were 10 minutes late and they say what i already read all my emails from the coffee shop (laughs) you know i was i was productive why am i getting in trouble Yeah, and that takes some, you know, getting used to and and maybe just even talking about it. This has come up on the radio show a few times where half of the problem is that managers just don't know any better. They just don't have any other way to sort of access a management style. They only know that basic one, the one that the parents probably taught them, which you kind of started to address, which was, you know, do what I say because I said so, and these are the rules, and uh, don't have maybe that baseline of how do we have a conversation, how do we figure this out in a way that makes sense um, and and clearly is also going to work for the employee um, as opposed to just, well, this is this is my command and control approach and take it or leave it. And then, of course, you know, companies are, are losing their, their best and brightest um, out the door pretty quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I know you kind of came up with a, a cool acronym, and maybe this would kind of be a good, good, good time to maybe introduce it and talk a little bit about what what each of the letters mean. And, and the acronym is Table. So maybe you could talk about what each of those letters mean and, and how that kind of really will impact some of the the different approaches that hiring managers and executives might take. Sure. So while we do um, believe that it's more about your mindset than your birth year, there are some some generalizations about this millennial workforce uh, that are based on research and statistics and things that, that really make millennials millennials. There are some things that were different in our life as we were going through those formative years, and so it shaped us differently than when we came into the workforce. It causes a lot of frustration between a traditional mindset and a millennial mindset, which is across the spectrum, and there's no right or wrong. It's just we all fall in a different place on the spectrum. So we teach about uh, the issues on the table. T-A-B-L-E stands for technology, authority, balance, as in work-life balance, loyalty, and entitlement. And those are some areas where we see an us-versus-them mentality in the workplace of people who have that more traditional mindset versus a millennial mindset. So I mentioned the technology piece of us changing with the times really quickly, changing technology, which is about our comfort level with change, that most of our young workers today are very comfortable and confident in in switching systems and upgrading and, and changing over on technology very fast. Uh, the authority piece is about that concept of because I said so, you know, my parents never said that to me, and so a lot of our younger workers, we feel that we should have a voice and a vote, even if it's day one or week one on the job. You hired me, so don't you want me to give my opinion? And instead of having that hierarchical view of seniority and titles, that the millennials see things in a more egalitarian nature, where we believe everyone should have a seat at the table and a voice and a vote, because as children, 
when we were given options. We were asked, what do you want for dinner tonight? What do you want to do this weekend? And I've yet to meet very many baby boomers who were ever asked as children, what do you want for dinner tonight, kiddo? <laughs> you know, they didn't have a say in those things. So very different time and upbringing that gives us a different view on authority and that respect for authority. Uh, the work-life balance goes to what I mentioned with we can work from anywhere now in most jobs and in a lot of uh, organizations. Of course, some jobs have to be done on-site at a certain time, but even with that, there's still a lot of flexibility that companies can offer on start and end times, on shift lengths of are you doing 8-hour, 10-hour, 12-hour, 6-hour shifts in order to meet that work-life balance or integration that today's workforce is looking for. Uh, loyalty is a big one. Previous generations um, were taught the deep-rooted loyalty. Me, on the other hand, my parents got divorced when I was 11, and my mom got laid off three times before I hit college. So I don't even know what loyalty looks like. Right. <laughs> my mom said, don't ever depend on a spouse or a company. Never, ever. You have to be able to take care of yourself. So that's where it comes in that um, that companies and leaders have to earn or gain an employee's loyalty because it doesn't come naturally anymore. Um, just it, it doesn't come automatically, I mean. And then entitlement is the piece about credit cards that, of course, millennials uh, tend to want what we want when we want it because we didn't have to learn as much patience and, and tolerance of waiting like previous generations who had to wait and earn things or um, be patient because we just got what we wanted when we wanted it since our parents could afford things and could just charge on a credit card whatever we wanted for the holidays, for example. So those are some of the things that we talk specifically about um, that really help managers understand, wow, I never thought of it that way. I didn't realize that the parenting is the reason that we have this young workforce who is so different and in some cases ridiculous, right? right? They just think, who do they think they are? Don't they know they have to pay their dues and wait and be patient and things? And the millennials don't feel that way um, because of the way that we were raised. Yeah, and it, it really is amazing. You kind of just think about the way in which it just sort of seems to start with this approach of how we are um, interacting with our kids and the choices that we're giving them and, and then how that's sort of translating them back into the workplace, um, all along with all these different experiences that everyone is having and trying to find a way to, to do that. And it uh, seems like really helping uh, leadership and managers having those different approaches is really going to be key. Mm-hmm. And clearly if they don't and, and they're taking maybe a one-size-fits-all strategy or maybe a uh, an older strategy, um, they're going to start losing employees. So, you know, as we look as putting on your, your crescendo strategies hat here, how are we going to help companies then sort of maybe reduce some of that unnecessary employee turnover? I mean, how do we keep the best people, the people we want to keep, how do we keep those our best and brightest coming in the door? You know, if, if there was maybe one or two things that you think they really should think about doing today, um, what are some of those things? You are going to get the biggest bang for your buck if you implement more management training. Management at all levels from top senior leaders, <clears throat> excuse me, down to your frontline supervisors. Because the number one reason people leave is 
bad management. They don't like their boss. Their boss doesn't understand me. I don't feel appreciated or valued. I have no flexibility, uh, you know, that type of thing. So what we see is more and more companies are finally bringing back more soft skills training for their managers on emotional intelligence, conflict resolution, how to give feedback uh, to your employees, things like that, that we cut that type of training and development years ago, and it's coming back to haunt a lot of companies who have managers who are not effective in those roles, and they're just seeing a revolving door of staff under those people because they don't know how to talk to today's new workforce and how to really get to know them and meet their expectations. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it seems like a seems like it would be obvious, but I know a lot of companies are struggling to try to figure that out. And so, going back and making that investment, putting in the money, putting in the time, and finding the right partner to help you do that can really, really be important. You know, so certainly, I imagine if we maybe look internally. What are some of the things you're doing? You know, why why is your company and culture kind of driving uh, in, in sort of a way that people want to work for you and are are happy in your company? Are there, are there some tips or things that you feel like you're doing there to be successful? Absolutely. Uh, I'm able to compete for good talent um, because we offer so much flexibility in our staffing. We do let people work from home and even choose their own hours and things. We have to meet client needs uh, in a timely manner. But some people, you know, work even when they go visit friends in another city and they decide to um, to work on the way or while they're there. Of course, I don't demand that they work on vacation, um, but they like to have those options of being able to work from wherever and whenever they want. Uh, I am in increasingly more transparent every year about what we do, why we do it, um, what our plans are moving forward, and I give everybody on my team a voice. I don't care if it is your first week with Crescendo Strategies. I want to hear what you think, and I want to make sure that everybody feels that they have a say and a vote in where we're headed and what we're doing, and so I will listen to that. It doesn't mean that everybody gets their way. It's not a, uh, it's not the situation where majority rules because it's still my company and I'm going to make that final decision, but people do feel heard within the organization, so it's a much more egalitarian approach where I see our hierarchy looks more like a wheel with spokes where everybody operations, marketing, finance, uh, you know, the content development, all of these things have to work together and move in the same direction for us to be successful. Nobody reports to anybody else, but everyone has their specific job and role to, to perform. And we just focus on the results of of getting to where we want to be and reaching those goals. So um, I also think another key to my success, and I've never lost a single staff person in five years. Um, everybody we've added over those five years has stayed with us. And one of the keys to that, too, is I know my staff personally. I get to know them. And if their kid breaks an arm and they miss a meeting or call because they're in the ER, 
you better believe I will be calling them the next day and asking how their kiddo is. Um, and if they go on vacation, I want to see some pictures and hear the stories and things. And that's how I start my calls with my team. How was your weekend? How did you enjoy the eclipse? Did you get a totality or, you know, what was your mm-hmm. experience? And I'm really getting to know them. And I know they appreciate that because I, I consistently hear from them. I love working for a boss who really cares and understands that I have a life outside of my hours with Crescendo. Well, if people are interested in learning more about your company, uh, maybe they want to, to work with you or learn more about all the cool things that you're doing, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you and learn more? Sure. So our website is crescendostrategies.com, and my email is Kara C-A-R-A, at crescendostrategies.com. Uh, you can find me pretty active on LinkedIn, and um, we would certainly love to talk to anybody if you need any speakers or trainers coming up or if you just want to talk about the new workforce and uh, learn more about how to retain the staff as you move forward. Well, thank you so much for being a part of our show today and giving our listeners um, some some great things to think about and really helping us uh, take a deeper dive into the generational differences, specifically with millennials. Um, Really, really appreciate it. Hopefully we have you come back maybe for a third time at some point and give us uh, more updates on, on everything you're doing. So thank you so much for being a part of the show. Sounds great. Thanks, Chris. All right. We'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll come back with my second guest, James Hamilton. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news? Or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Town Talk Radio Show. Don't forget you can go to TownTalkRadio.com and find all our past episodes as well as uh, podcasts on iTunes. You can also hear us on iHeartRadio. You can find us anywhere. So if you want to listen to this show again or come back for past shows, they are all out there for you. So uh, let's go ahead and bring in my second guest, uh, James Hamilton. He's the VP of Inspired Performance uh, for the uh, Vincent Group. And don't forget, you can uh, send questions right now to us via Twitter, uh, at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag, Talent Talk. Uh, that way we can find the questions uh, or comments or whatever you may have, and we can try to bring them in the show. But uh, let's go ahead and get James in. James, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and, of course, uh, what your company does and what you guys have been up to. Well, I'm in, I'm in charge of the Inspired Performance Team, uh, commonly referred to in many companies as human resources or safety. And the Vincheat Group, it's the, the Vincheat is the Latin word for overcome. Vincheat, okay. Mm-hmm. That's uh, eight groups, eight companies, and then uh, in, in a single group. And our mission is to reach our full potential by helping others reach theirs to renew and raise the bar. And we do a lot of 
fantastic stuff with uh, with science and heavy industry and um, like. And uh, we're located in Chattanooga, Tennessee, as a headquarter, privately owned, and um, and in almost every single state with about six thousand employees. Well, I imagine if anybody um, saw it, they might have pronounced it how I did. So I'm going to give everyone a little bit of help. We'll spell the company name uh, for Vinci. It's V-I-N-C-I-T. So in case you're going to go look them up or want to Google them or, or whatever, maybe you'll know how to spell it. Um, maybe what, what are some of the um, ways that you, you maybe your new position, I know it's fairly new for you, um, that are maybe different than what you're doing before. So how, how has sort of your work changed recently? Well, um, when we spoke last, it's been three years, and congratulations, by the way, on um, on continuing fantastic show for three additional years. Thank you. But uh, I was in, I was working in the, in the food business with Delmonico Foods, and we had a, a a really great run. We tripled in value organically um, over three years. When I started there, we had six hundred and fifty percent turnover, and when we left, we had a glass door rating of 4.4 on a scale of 1 to 5. And that's it. The glass door rating, for those of you who don't know, is anonymous ratings by employees. And 4.4 is about as high as any company gets in, in the, in the right. country. So we're really proud of that. But I had an opportunity to – I'm from Kentucky. I had an opportunity to return, live close to my parents, and work with uh, people. Some of the folks at the Vincheat Group were people that I already knew professionally. And I really liked the work that they're doing with um, with science and, and renewal. I remember when I spoke with the owner, uh, Bob Bullard, he said, you know, you can carry a sign about saving the planet or you can get – busy doing something about it and if you go into some of the heaviest water users and figure out how to cut their water use in half and then do that across 100 industrial locations across the united states think of the impact that you're having on the planet and i really got excited about that and uh i came here to the vincic group in february and challenges or differences are just the scale um the company is much larger a lot more complexities, doing a lot of different things. Uh, the pace of growth is um, much higher, and uh, so all of those things affect my schedule and my travel personally, but um, it's really exciting. So I know something I'm kind of looking at uh, having you on the show again, uh, looking at your LinkedIn uh, description of your new company, was sort of this indication about the philosophy that, uh, you know, it says the Vinci Associates aren't hired, they're, they're chosen. Um, which is sort of a different uh, maybe outlook than a lot of companies um, might take. So maybe you could talk about this or the philosophy behind that and how that really helps you find the right people. Um, when, pe- when I go, uh, whenever you travel and you go into a hotel or you're on the airplane, and people making connections, they say, well, what do you do? You think about, well, how can I explain what I do? And what, I'm, what, I'm, what I've taken to saying is uh, we perform miracles. And the things that we do are really uh, miraculous, and they're and they're not easy. And so, not everyone is interested in in doing challenging things that are going to have big impacts, uh, like cleaning industrial facilities. And so, you think about well, who wants to do this sort of thing, and how do we how do we get find people who share the mission and the values and referrals word of mouth matter a lot and you're really looking for people who have the similar competencies passion and problem solving and change driven and um 
and and uh, community and conscious about the environment and folks like like those and you see them and they may be doing something else and if when you talk to them about what it is you're doing and they get excited about it also then those are the people that you want working and and doing the same thing that you're doing and so we um really organizationally we we spend a lot of time trying to help our folks identify and 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 select other folks who share the same mission and values yeah, absolutely. And so that probably really feeds into some of the successful things you're doing. And maybe you could talk about some of that around uh, and how you're engaging employees. I mean, so having this kind of a, a big uh, mission and, and bringing people in to do these kind of big, impactful things certainly sounds like a part of it, maybe part of your why, part of your purpose. But what some of the other things are, are you and your company kind of um, using or playing around with to, to really make sure that you have the most engaged employees? Well, um You've heard this, I think, from different folks on the on the on um, on the your program over the course of of the time you've been doing it. But the, our annual general meeting, we spent a lot of time, and the the, the focus of the meeting, uh, bringing in uh, hundreds of our leaders from across the the company, was um, Simon Sinek's um, "Start with Why." Mm-hmm. And and why do we exist? And how can you translate that into what it is that that you're saying using your own words? It has to be your own words, but uh, to um, tell the story of of what we're trying to do to the people that are in your life. And so we spent actually um, two days working through some of those um, ideas in small group meetings and and, and sharing and um, having uh, someone help um, with communication skills and finally signing a declaration of intradependence, that we're interdependent upon each other and upon our communities. And um, that's sort of the inspirational leadership from the, the owners. And and then, in fact, when I came in, the owner said he wanted to, uh, he wanted to rebrand the department so that we thought about the work that we did differently and we spent some time thinking and talking about. But that's where inspired performance. That our shared goal is performance, and performance is the tree that nourishes the life of the entire ecosystem of the company. And the the human element is the emotional element, and that's the inspiration. You could say IT is technological performance or operations is operational performance but with humans it's inspirational performance and it's inspiration not control so it's uh, I think it's helping people think differently um, about what success in their job is right absolutely and you know really kind of when you do some of those things, you talked about um, bringing people together and, and allowing them to, to say it in their own words. You allow them to, to work through some of those activities. It's amazing sometimes that companies just don't do some of those things. I mean, uh, for the most part, they're simple. For the most part, they could be inexpensive. I, mean, I guess if you're bringing people from all over the country, there may be a cost there. But you can do some of these things in simple and effective ways to get people to think about it, to talk about it, to... Uh, rely on it and and to use it as a I was called to call it like glue right it's like culture glue um, so people feel connected they feel like they uh, can work together have have a similar language language and have a similar way to to approach things and to go after things and it really makes a huge difference um, maybe you could talk about why do you think some companies kind of lack some of this um, whether it's knowledge or desire or whatever it may be to really help their cultural makeup 
and, and do some of these things that maybe will help their employees and help them grow or have a higher glass door rating, whatever it may be. Where do you think some of that, those failures come from? I think that companies may not collectively, maybe individuals at companies think that it matters, but collectively, and particularly the ownership group, may not think it matters. There's lots of things that matters that matter. Does this matter? They may think that these things happen just naturally. They just happen. Um, they may lack clarity of their purpose, their organizational purpose. Um, maybe maybe they think it matters and want to do it, but they just don't understand how. And my advice on the how is um, it, it, this is something that takes time. It, 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 you're talking about major organizational change if this has not been the thinking of um, inspiring people collectively um, around a clarity of purpose. And it, almost, it can take almost a year of talking about the ideas and, and what that would do to help the organization perform and be successful before people may think, oh, well, that idea is logical and it makes sense. And then it may take another year of thinking, well, what do I do about it and how do I translate some of these ideas into actual expectations and goals and things and, and how I select leaders and how I reward them. And um, I think a fundamental shift for people is realizing that uh, – the core customer of the inspired performance, the human resources team, are leaders. The customer of the leaders are the team members. Mm-hmm. And so the goal of the human resources team is to help leaders be good at leadership. Then the role of the leaders is to help their team members be successful. And many times I think uh, human resources um, folks will go right to team members or, and, and they'll address things that are symptoms and not the root cause. And, and I think the root cause is, um, are we good at leadership? Do we select and reward and set expectations around leadership that's in alignment with our mission and values? And once people can believe that that matters and that's how you do it, and specifically this is what it means in their company, then by year three you start to see meaningful change all the way through the organization. That's that's my belief and experience. Well, you sort of kind of transitioned really nicely. I was going to ask you about your definition of effective leadership, but I think you just gave it to us, that whole process of of how you look at those things, um, also really looking at root causes versus symptoms. I mean, I, I see that so often that people look at symptoms and they decide and, and make rules or policies or uh, decisions about uh, staff or whatever it may be based on a, a symptom and not, not the root cause. And um, they sort of whether they don't want to really peel back that Band-Aid and find out what's really the problem or they just not stopping long enough to think about something and uh, to get input and to really to really evaluate. I'm not sure which it is or maybe a combination of both, but it sounds like you give us a pretty good outline. Go ahead. Yeah, and in short, it, I would just say it's two words. It's inspired performance. You, what you're after is performance, and you're after an elevated performance than you would otherwise have, and it, that's inspired performance. That's what that's what effective leadership. That's the result of effective leadership. Right. Well, it sounds like you've got a really strong kind of innovative leadership group, and really helping to create a culture that encourages you know all sorts of different types of positive behaviors, including even things like entrepreneurship. How do you effective leaders and stay ahead of the curve? What are some of the things they should be thinking about to make sure that 
you know, those around them continue to be innovative, that continue to be creative, that we're finding, you know, innovative solutions and innovative um, ideas for things going forward. I mean, there, there's certainly value in being uh, efficient and effective in the work that we're doing. But we also need to be thinking about the next thing and the and how we do things better, you know, maybe tomorrow. So uh, the things that you, you, you guys look at or you, you would suggest other companies think about? Okay. Well, um, f- first of all, I think that... Uh a lot of companies are quite skilled at finding and selecting folks who have subject matter expertise in whatever it is that they're looking for, and even cultural fit for the group and their company. The question is, how do you spot and identify folks who are leaders and select the right ones and reward them for that? And that's a little bit that's a little bit tricky. Um, I. My opinion is you want to look for people's motivations, that effective leaders are interested in the success of their team even more than they are interested in their own personal success. And so understanding what their motivations are is a is a great um, way of trying to determine if somebody's going to be skillful at leadership. If people are curious, if they have passion around what they're doing, uh, if they understand the business, is extremely helpful. It's difficult to be good at something if you, and I don't mean the subject matter expertise. I mean the, the how the business makes money and and is successful and sustains itself. If 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 those drivers are murky, or it, then it, then that makes it a little bit more difficult. But some people just have a natural inclination to help others be better. And when you look for that in a person, then, and you combine that with their subject matter expertise and their cultural fit, then you're on the right path. And there's not a perfect answer and there's not a perfect person. You just, you just decide that it matters and make it an intentional part of your business processes. Mm -hmm. And you do it everywhere, every, every time that you can, because you believe it matters. And, and the, and the business starts to change people's expectations of what success is starts to, starts to change. And it's, it's powerful. Um, it's a really powerful stuff. It seems a little esoteric maybe as I sit here talking about it, but in, as a practical matter, uh, the way, the way people's lives change in, a in a, we got five people working, and I believe that my the person that I'm talking to every day cares about me because they say my name and they ask me how I'm doing and they get involved in my professional development. The performance is so much greater, um, and when that happens everywhere, it's um, transformational change can occur. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of our favorite questions to ask our guests is uh, about books you might be reading or might tell us about that uh, maybe our listeners want to check out. So is there a book that you're reading now or maybe recently uh, picked up that you would suggest? There is. Um, a couple things that I've read in my life I've really considered to be somewhat profound. Uh, Margaret Wheatley um, has spent a lot of time discussing things like uh, the difference between the theory of relativity and quantum physics and um, as and as that relates to uh, human resources. And um, it, a book, one of her books, it's called A Simpler Way, is discussing how organizations are living systems, they're not machines. Um, you can't impose machine dynamics on organizations, things like interchangeable parts. Um, people only own what they create talking about self-managed work environments, 
clarity of purpose. There's a lot of uh, interesting concepts, but at its core is the theory of, of relativity and, and the science of most of the things that we're familiar with deal with an, an answer that is certain. We know what the answer is. And so when we deal with things at a very quantum level, a very small level, things the science there is no longer certain. It's only probable. And any parent who's had children knows that probability is a probably a much better way to manage children than certainty. If they've got three different children, the same answer doesn't work for all three of them. It's only maybe it'll work or maybe I have to adapt a different process. But that concept of having to adapt different answers for different people or different groups of people can be strange if we were certain that um, there is a right answer and there is a best practice and we're going to do this all the way across the organization and everyone's going to be successful. And when you surrender to the realization that or that doesn't work for living things, and for living things we can only have a clarity of purpose and try to come up with things that work versus things that are right. Does it work is a better question. It's a, it's a profound book, Margaret Wheatley, Simpler Way. Yeah, it sounds like a really interesting book, and it's certainly not... It's not a newer book. It's maybe it's an older book, but uh, sometimes those are uh, great ones to pick up and get. Um, it, it, it certainly sounds interesting to me. Anything that kind of maybe would bridge some of that science stuff with with human resources sounds right up my alley. So, as we were talking here, I've already added it to my to my list on the, my wish list on Amazon. So, really appreciate you bringing up that uh, suggestion. Yeah, yeah. Well, you've mentioned a lot of great things here today. If someone was busy or maybe didn't pay attention as well as they should have, but Maybe you were hoping that they would at least have heard one thing. They should have taken away this one thing. Um, what is it that you said today that maybe you want to make sure that people remember or that they take away from our conversation? You, you can't win the playoffs with policy. You can't? Po- you All can't right. win the playoffs with policy. Maybe maybe you could dive into that a little bit deeper for us. Yeah, it inspires. It, it, you need an inspired and committed team. You need great leadership. Um, If you want to have greatness in your company, it requires more than risk management, more than policy. It it requires a commitment to understanding how to inspire your folks. And the methodology is through uh, your leadership and helping your leaders be effective at inspiring their team members to to great performance. That's great. But if if you just stay with policy, you'll never win the playoffs. Absolutely. Well, uh, how can people get a hold of you or learn more about your company if they're interested in learning more? Um, again, the company is spelled V-I-N-C-I-T, then the word group. But how can they learn more if they're interested? So my LinkedIn profile is, is up to date. I'm active, um, so it's a great way to reach me. Um, James Hamilton, Vincheat Group, V-I-N-C-I-T Group. And, uh, and um, uh, I think I've got my... Uh, contact information on my LinkedIn profile. Well, James, thanks so much for being back on the show with me today, um, providing us such great insights. Really happy that uh, the new gig is working out great for you, and we'll love to have you come back uh, again as well and uh, give us an update on everything you're doing. Thanks, Chris, for doing what you're doing, and um, I appreciate that. It's an honor to be on your show, and have a great day. All right, well, thank you. Hopefully everyone uh, enjoyed the show today and then gained something that will help your own career in a positive way. Next get, next week, excuse me, my guest will be Jennifer McClure back on our show. She's a president of Unbridled Talent, 
the unbridled has a little double meeting there. I think she's a big horse person as well. And then um, we will also have uh, Tania Davis, the chief people officer for iManage. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.